We turn tonight in God's Word to the book of 1 Kings, 1 Kings, and we'll be at chapter 19, 1 Kings chapter 19, as we continue our series of messages of 40 days and 40 nights. This time we run into it with the prophet Elijah. So when I first asked Dr. Tim um, to preach this morning, he already knew the passage he was going to do it on, and that was going to be Psalm 46, and uh, where that would take us. And so in, in thinking about that being this morning, what then out of the 40 days comes tonight? And uh, it seemed best to place before you the prophet Elijah this evening. And so hopefully you've caught that since this morning and tonight, we're in the same flow. We've had uh, the leading of the Lord as our shepherd and the blessing of that peace that he provides to us as our leader, which is a continuation of the theme of this morning. The peace that we have as that river that comes to us from Psalm 46. That was part, as I mentioned, of Dr. Tim's message this morning as well. But there are also the realities of life. In a sense, what we heard this morning is the answer to the problem. Tonight, we get the problem. And the problem is not presented to us by some off-character of the Bible, not by some individual who has very little mention. In fact, the problem comes out with perhaps one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. Indeed, when they're trying to think of, well, who does John the Baptist? Oh, he's got to be Elijah. He is, as it were, on the top of the heap of the prophets. And yet it is in the midst of his life that he too needed to be prodded by the Lord. I don't know if the Psalm 46 was written by the time of Elijah's life. If it was, Elijah did not pay attention to it for a period of his life. And maybe that's the reality of life, isn't it? As Dr. Tim said, we can have all of these things up here. We can know them as truth. But there are certain situations, certain times when when we all become prone to not paying attention to that which we know. Elijah is one of those characters. Let's read the account as it's given to us in 1 Kings chapter 19. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. Let me read that again. Then he was afraid. 
And he rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he said, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, The word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel has forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. They seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. When Elijah heard it, He wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go. Return your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Mahalah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we give thanks for this portion of your word as we study Elijah. And we just pray that uh, even through this passage we may draw closer to you and be blessed. We ask a blessing on Pastor Bob, too, as he brings this to us, that we may be attentive and that we may learn from your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Three things from this passage. First of all, the context. We've got to know what's going on here or what has happened here. Secondly, the flight. His being afraid and his fleeing the circumstances, and then thirdly, the message 
that occurs and is given to him on the Mount of God. First of all, the context. As the passage opens, it says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Well, what had he done? One, he is God's prophet. That's the one thing that we have to keep in mind in terms of the context. He has been called. He has been commissioned. He has been anointed. He has been used by God in quite marvelous ways if you look back over the chapters. The things that Elijah was able to do through the power of God. He was able to do this even during the reign of Ahab and Jezebel, two of the most wicked people who ever were going to reign over Israel. The ones who had brought Baal worship in, and that's what the whole thing is all about, this worship of Baal, who is supposedly the storm god. The worship of Baal, who brings rain upon the earth so that there is life. Life doesn't come from Yahweh. Life doesn't come from Elohim. Life comes from Baal. He is the Lord and giver of life. That's what the nation is following. That's the the trail that the nation is on. God sends Elijah in the midst of that to be his prophet. And he has been courageous. He's been a faithful prophet. He has encountered Ahab himself. And when Ahab points his finger and says, you're the troubler of Israel, he returns the favor by pointing at Ahab. And says, it's not me, it's you. You're the troubler of Israel. He's called a drought. It's not going to rain. It's not going to rain except by the word of the Lord. Courageous to do so. To stand before this king who's worshipping this other god. And say, it's not going to rain no matter what you do. He's called together the prophets of Baal, 400 of them, on a contest on Mount Carmel to see who who truly can bring that lightning from the sky. Who really is the storm god? Who is the one who brings the rain? Is it Baal or is it God in addressing the people? Why do you halt between two positions? Either Baal is God Or the Lord is God. Make up your mind. Who are you going to serve? This is Elijah. He was there. Those 400 prophets of Baal frantically dancing around, cutting themselves, calling out to Baal. Not even a little spark from heaven. Elijah douses the altar with water. Calls upon God. And in an instant, that fire comes down from heaven and consumes all that there is. He takes the 400 prophets of Baal and orders them to be executed. This courageous man. He's also persistent. The follow-up to that story is we see Elijah praying. Praying as he's looking out over the Mediterranean Sea. Asking his servant to go time and time again. What do you see? What do you see? Do you see any storm clouds? And he's persistently praying. Lord, now send the rain. Lord, now send the rain. He is so persistent in prayer that, the, that James in James chapter 5 uses 
the persistence of Elijah to demonstrate to us how we should be faithful in prayer. This is the man. You'll recall the end of that is that as that storm grows, he wins his own marathon, running all the way back to the palace of Ahab, beating the storm. Because it's God who sends the rain. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. What else is the background to the flight? One more thing. He is now a wanted man. There is a death sentence. So much so that Jezebel sends it directly to him. Find Elijah and tell him, you're a dead man. How does Elijah respond? Stop and think for a minute. How does Elijah respond? God is my refuge and my strength and ever-present help in trouble. No. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. He leads me to green pastures. No. How does this man of God This courageous, this persistent praying man. This man that God has used to to show forth the true reality that the Lord, he is God. Verse 3, then he was afraid. Then he was afraid. Why is he afraid? Perhaps from a human point of view, one could say he's alone. At least he feels alone, or at least he thinks he's alone. He doesn't think there's anybody else there behind him. There is nobody there seemingly supporting him. Perhaps he thought that this contest, this will surely do it, right? We've proven beyond a shadow of a doubt the Lord is God. And now God's blessed with rain. Everybody's going to be converted. Even Ahab and Jezebel's hearts certainly now are going to be turned. You're a dead man. Maybe he thought he was a failure. More should have happened. There should have been conversions all over the place. Ahab should have come begging humbly. Oh, Elijah, I'm so sorry for what I've said. Jezebel should have been come crawling. But none of that happened. In fact, it seems like as we read the account and that which follows, Ahab And Jezebel seemed to be gaining in power. But this whole contest proved to be nothing. He's afraid. But not only is he afraid, he is in despair. 
Notice how the passage goes. Then he was afraid. He arose, ran for his life, comes to Beersheba, leaves his servant there. I don't, I don't even want you with me. I don't even want you along. I just want to be alone. I want to be left alone, and I want to die. God, take my life. I want to die. I've had enough. I can't take it anymore. I just want to die. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. It's an interesting expression. One could delve into it and wonder, what does he mean, no better than his father's? Of course we're not. We're all sinners. Does he mean perhaps, well, I'm no better of a prophet than anybody else who has been a prophet? Is that who he's comparing himself to? Is this a comparison issue? Is it a pride issue? Well, it's certainly an issue of despair, and there is certainly, let me consult my scroll. God is my refuge and strength at ever-present help in trouble. If he's got that scroll, it slams shut. He's got all the promises of God, but they're not there now. Not there now. He flees. He sits down. And he asks to die. Does God respond? To his prophet. Well, he sends an angel, right? We see it in verse 5. He, that is Elijah, lay down, slept. Behold, an angel touched him. Interestingly, okay, there it references an angel. When we read it the second time, verse 7, and the angel of the Lord came again. A second time, meaning the angel of the Lord is the one who also came the first time which is a reference, right, to Christ. This is Christ coming to Elijah. Christ comes. In the midst of the discouragement of his prophet, in the midst of the prophet who is now afraid, who is filled with fear, God sends Christ to prepare a meal for him. It's interesting, isn't it, that God doesn't just throw him away. Well, you're not no use to me. You can't even remember scripture right now. I have no use for you. Off with you. I think I will just take your life. I'll find somebody else. I can call somebody else. No, God's not done with Elijah. Because God's not done with us. So I would imagine that many in this room can see ourselves in Elijah. The words of Psalm 46 don't always come to mind. 
The words of Psalm 23 aren't always there. Because we're afraid. We despair. And yet God in His mercy, God in His grace, God in His love does not toss us away. But God comes to us in the person of His Son. And then he supplies them with a meal. And that's where our 40 days and nights come in, don't they? This is kind of interesting. And he arose and ate and drank. And, and if scripture wants to emphasize it it, 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 it underscores it. And he went in the strength of that food. The Christ food. The Christ meal. That which Christ supplied him with. Now, if we go back, we know what it is, right? It's a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. That's the meal Christ provided to him. That's what Christ could provide then. And and from the strength of that meal, Forty days and forty nights of a journey. And the strength of that meal. And this morning, think of the meal that Christ supplied us. Oh, it's just a communion service. It really doesn't matter if I'm there. Oh, it's just another communion service. It is never just another communion service. Because it's always the meal that Christ supplies. For the journey that lies ahead. For where God wants to take us. For what God wants to do. Even in the midst of our discouragement. Even in the midst of our fear, Christ comes and says, here is a meal. Not of some hot cakes and water, but here's a meal of my body and of my blood. If Elijah based upon the strength provided by that physical food, could journey 40 days and 40 nights. Do you suppose spiritually is provided for us as God's despairing and fearful people when we come to the meal that Christ now supplies? 40 days and 40 nights he journeys. Because God has a place in mind. What does the passage tell us? It says he goes to Horeb, the mount of God. This is is where Moses was. 
And Elijah knows that, right? God's not leading him to some other spot. He's leading him to where Moses was, where the law was given, where Moses saw the glory of God, where Moses' face shines with that glory of God, where we've been the last couple of weeks. He goes to Horeb. What's the message that God has for his fearful, despairing prophet? Well, notice how this happens. First of all comes the question, what are you doing here in the first place? Why why are you here? this This is... Ask, you see, by almighty, all-knowing God. It's not that Elijah has to provide information. Elijah seems like he needs to do that. If you read the answer, it's like, okay, Elijah, understand who's asking you the question. But you see, part of that is the reminder to us of the fact that in this fear and in this despair... He has indeed even forgotten the character and being of God. How often do we not confess that God is all loving? That God is merciful and gracious. But how often in the midst of a hard and pressing time... Do we not call that to mind? This is Elijah, the man of God. Why are you here? See, the question is asked in such a way of, you shouldn't be. You should not be here. Something's wrong. We need a corrective here. God brought him to Mount Horeb to correct him. He needed an adjustment, a theological adjustment. He needed a heart adjustment. He needed a life adjustment. Who? This prophet of God who's just had a contest with 400 prophets of Baal. This man. Go stand outside. You see what happens? Go stand out in the mount. Great strong wind. Tore mountains. Broken pieces. And the rocks. But the Lord was not in the wind. Then we have an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after that, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. God was not in the strong wind, the earthquake, and the fire. These large, momentous things. These earth-shattering things. These things that rattle the earth. These seismic events. God is not in them. 
God comes to Elijah in a low whisper. You see, oftentimes, brothers and sisters in Christ, what happens is that we think that God can only work in big things. And when the big things don't produce the results that we think should happen, we become afraid and we become discouraged. And we flee. All of Elisha's life in the past weeks has been filled with great events. Contest. Fire from heaven. Rainstorms. God can only work that way. That's the only thing God uses. God only uses the big, the strong, and the powerful. That's the only way God can work. I've got to be doing the big. I've got to be doing the strong. I've got to be doing the powerful things of life. Or else my life is not worth anything. I might as well die. But God was not in the wind and the earthquake and the fire. But he was in the low whisper. Elijah, what are you doing here? See, this is the Lord's reminder. I think we need that today. I think we need that. Considering all that's going on, all that's happening, the forces of evil that, that seem to be, no, that not seem to be, that are arising against the church of Jesus Christ and against God and against his Holy One. Well, certainly it's going to be something big God's going to do. And certainly God's going to do that something big through me. in the quiet, gentle whisper. God comes and reminds his own prophet that he works not just through the big, the strong, and the powerful, but he works through the common, the ordinary, just as much. And if we think about the way in which God works, that's the way God normally works. That is usual business for God. He reminds Elijah, you're not alone. You think you are. But there's still 7,000 who have never even worshipped Baal. They've never even acknowledged Baal. They've never even gone to a Baal worship service. 7,000 are still with you. 
They're still coming alongside of you. They're still my people. But then the Lord not only reminds him of that truth. It's interesting, right? That God doesn't come to Elijah at this point, at this time, and say, Elijah, don't you remember? I am the refuge and strength, your ever-present help in trouble. What's the matter with you? No, he just teaches him. He just teaches him. Comes to him in a low whisper. See, Elijah, I'm at work. And sometimes I speak the loudest when I speak the quietest. But then he gives work for Elijah to do. Elijah is to leave, verse 15, go and return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. What are you doing here? There's work to be done. What work do I have to do? Well, it's the low whisper type of work. What do you have to do? What do you, what do you have for me to do, Lord? More contests, Mount Carmel? We, we going to find some more? Who are we going to go after today, Lord? What, what, what's the big event? No, no, no. I want you to go back the way you came. I want you to journey up to Damascus, enemy territory, Gentile territory. I want to find you to find a man by the name of Haziel, and I want you to anoint him the next king of Syria. Then on your way back from there, as you come back to Israel, I want you to find a man named Jehu. You know who he is. You find him, and you anoint him as the next king of Israel. And then I want you to find a man by the name of Elisha. And I want you to anoint him. He's your replacement. Now get to work. Lord, none of these are huge. I mean, there's probably not anybody going to be around when I anoint these three people. There's not going to be a crowd. There's not going to be television cameras. None of that's going to... I just go and pour some oil on Hazel. He's a Gentile. Yeah. Jehu? Yeah. In fact, when you read about it, you, you find out, especially with the Jehu one, how much nobody wants anything to do with this episode. And then you find the farmer, guy who's out plowing, right, with these oxen, and you anoint him. Right there in the field, just have him stop his, his oxen, pour some oil on him. Where's the crowd? No crowd. Sometimes God, you see, works the strongest and the quietest. Because what does God tell him? In essence, God tells Elijah this. Those three quiet things. Just be faithful. Just do your job. Do what I call you to do. Do the task that I have already given you to do. They're going to do more to eliminate the worship of Baal than you have ever done in your life, Elijah. But I'm allowing you to be a participant in it. You see, folks, sometimes the greatest work of preparation that you will ever do 
to bring about a reformation, revival, is sitting next to you in the pew. Get to work. It's not always the big showy things. Sometimes it's just coming home and sitting down with your children. How was your day? Let's talk about the Lord. Let's pray. Sometimes what we're called to do is to simply be faithful in the task that God has given us to do as parents, as husbands, as wives, as grandparents, as members of the church. Sometimes it's simply the faithfulness of the church of Jesus Christ in the midst of the unfaithfulness that God uses. You see, folks, light in darkness doesn't have to force itself. It already is. That's the lesson that Elijah needed to learn. That's the lesson that Elijah had forgotten. That's the lesson that he set aside. See, sometimes it really is. No, not sometimes. The way that God works is to remind us in the midst of our fear, in the midst of our despair, in the midst of a frenzied world. I am your refuge and your strength. I am your ever-present help in trouble. Now go do what I've called you to do. Be my faithful people in the midst of a depraved world. Father, thank you. There are probably some here tonight who need this encouragement. Where they're at, the road, the journey they're on. Maybe they came tonight sitting under a broom tree. It's ready to throw up their hands. Maybe they came ready for another contest on Mount Carmel. And you bring us to Horeb. And you speak to us in a gentle whisper. Father, so often in this world we want names, we want titles, we want acknowledgement. And you just want us to serve where we're called. For, Father, we might be sitting next to the next Elijah. We might be sitting next to the next leader of the free world someday. We might be sitting next to a Supreme Court justice. 
We might be sitting next to a missionary. We might be sitting next to a a mother who's going to prayerfully pray for her child day in and day out. And you're going to use that child to do more to rid this world of evil. Sometimes it's not about us. Sometimes it's about those children sitting next to us, our grandchildren. Find us faithful. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.